Hi there. We have a favor to ask. If you're enjoying the DLC Live podcast and you're listening on a platform that lets you leave a rating or a review, leave us a five-star rating. Maybe take a minute to write a quick review. It really helps, and we really appreciate it. Now let's get on with the show. Welcome to DLC Live, your source for educational and inspirational interviews with mental health experts and advocates from around the world. Now, here's your host, creator of the DLC Anxiety Worldwide Mental Health Community, Dean Stott. Good evening, everyone. Welcome. It's Monday and it's CBT dropping clinic time with the one and only Kimberly Quinlan, your anxiety toolkit. Today, we've got a fantastic topic that we're going to be speaking about. Really interesting. I know that a lot of us will be able to relate to this and that's specific phobias. So, Let's speak about phobias. Let's speak about how CBT helps phobias. Um, and let's put in the comments now, um, if you're dealing with any phobias, do you have any? Um, let us have a look in the comments just before we let Kim uh, come on. So sending so much love to everyone. Hope you're all having a fantastic day. Just asking for Kim to come on now. Yeah, great topic. I agree. Looking forward to today's chat. Feeling good, feeling good. I'm always feeling good when I see that lovely smile. Good morning or good evening to everybody. Good evening, good morning, good afternoon. Uh, Kim, thank you so much for coming on. I think we're on episode three now, so we're, we're steaming along. We are, we are. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, fantastic. Uh, Kim, um, a lot of people um, are saying that it's a really interesting topic, the one that we've got. I don't think... Um, in the anxiety social media community that um, phobias are spoke about as often as they should be. And I also think there's a little bit of a miscommunication between people thinking that phobias are just like being scared of spiders, which obviously is a phobia, but or um, being scared of lifts and things like that. Um, but yeah, I wanted to speak about specific phobias, how CBT helps, and uh, just get the conversation started like that. So, yeah, do you want to dive into it? Do you want to give a, a, a Can you hear me? I can. Oh, yeah, sorry. Uh, I think the mic just went off a little bit. Do you want to give an explanation just what a specific phobia is and um, how it could be addressed? Right. Well, a lot of people in the comments are, like, sharing their specific yeah. phobia. Right. I mean, the truth is you can have a specific phobia to anything. Um, it can be directed towards any specific thing. Um, common exposures, I mean, common phobias that we see are uh, the fear of vomiting. That's a really big one. Fear of needles, um, mm. the fear of holes. A lot of people have a fear of holes in walls or in around them. That's a common one. Um, we've is, that like, people... is that like a specific, like just one or is it like loads of different ones? Do you know? Any. A lot of is people, it? there's a hole in the wall that it, that creates a lot of anxiety for them. There's common phobias like claustrophobia is a common one. A lot of people have written like um, fear of flying is a very, very common. We spoke about that one. Yes. However, the fear of flying is sometimes related to the fear of flying, but is often also panic disorder. And phobias often will very much like very much slide in and have a coexisting panic disorder as well. Um, so, yes, there are many, many different types of phobias. I'm sure a lot of you even are going to put in your fear, your specific phobias, and I may even not know the, the technical term of them. 
Um, but yes, uh, specific phobias are very, very common. Very common as a coexisting disorder with other anxiety disorders. So if you have OCD, you very commonly will have a, a specific phobia. Panic disorder will commonly have a specific phobia as well. Uh, yeah, so that, that goes into someone but they've got a phobia of the police. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of understand that. To be <laughs> um, yeah, so that goes into the next question, which is, I think, a really cool question. So um, firstly, specific phobia, if that is all you have, would that be uh, related as a, an, an anxiety disorder or do you have to have a panic disorder um, with it or OCD, as you mentioned? Can specific phobia be like just that one thing be an anxiety disorder? Yes, yes, it has its own diagnostic code. Um, mm-hmm. And so often often we will see a patient who has a fear of one thing and there's no coexisting disorder. They might be often like younger children. I'd say it's not as common though, is it? There's always, sometimes there's like, why you say panic disorder is very common with it, isn't it? Yeah, common with it. Because what happens is, you're afraid of the specific thing. And when you're exposed to the specific thing, then you have a panic attack. And then anyone who has a panic attack becomes afraid of also the panic attack. Um, And so they will often very much happen. Panic disorder and the phobia will happen at the same time. Brilliant. And the next question I think I have, Kim, is that um, I think it's important to put the difference of a fear, so having a fear of something and having a specific phobia. Um, would you just okay. be able to explain the difference between them? Well, let's use the police example. As I, lo- I am Australian, I moved to LA, I'm afraid of police, right? <laughs> I have a fear of the LAPD, right? Even though I'm sure, <laughs> you know, they, they are serving us in, in many ways. However, if that fear meant that now I'm not able to function it's impacting my ability to maybe drive or go out of my house if that fear is a 10 out of 10 and it's causing me a great deal of distress then we would move into clinically calling it a specific phobia but we often will have many fears every human has fear but we're looking mostly at the the term disorder is when things the fear is to the point where it's impacting your functioning and causing no order in your life ultimately yeah like you say obviously fear is is we all deal with it um all the time and it yeah phobia basically if it's impacting on your day-to-day living and it's having a real impact on it you should start to get that addressed um regarding um what i find interesting about specific phobia is that like if you took for example um Say, say, an, someone had a um, a bad altercation, say, with an animal. So, like, maybe a dog bit them, and they they uh, then developed this specific phobia to the dog, which obviously is understandable because of the trauma that they went through from that. What I find interesting, and I'm sure you might be able to give some more light, uh, light into it, is that what's the reason that some people have that specific phobia, but then another person might get bit by a dog and not go on to develop a specific phobia. Right. So there's a couple of things that can impact it. Number one, are you genetically set up for anxiety? If you have a genetic predisposition, which ultimately means someone in your family above you, parents, grandparents, if they had anxiety, you're more likely for your brain 
to assume that that was a danger and your brain sort of then sets off a fire alarm as a as a mistake every time as if that every dog is a high high danger if you didn't have that anxiety predisposition another thing is some people have faulty beliefs about yes. themselves or the world and that can impact whether it develops into a disorder or a phobia i was in- just going to say say if you're living with um say your parent for example may have been bit by a dog and then the parent has a specific phobia towards this situation then it's that learned behavior of seeing that your mum or your dad is always scared of dogs that that learned behavior can then go on to you you might not specifically have that trauma yourself but because you're seeing it and you learn that obviously whoa this must be a danger that can then go on to you yeah Yes, yes, yes. So if you then perceive dogs as all dogs are bad, lots of black and white thinking, all dogs are dangerous, dogs can kill. Sometimes phobias will come because you've just read an article on the news, right? Like somebody, you know, one plane fell out of the sky and then you're like, all planes are bad. Or, you know, everyone who rain that we think in this very black and white way. So that's another reason why one event can lead to a phobia. Yeah, they say that obviously when the tragic events of 9-11 happened, that phobias really um, Mm -hmm. increased after that because of the media coverage and everything surrounding that. Um, So, yeah, so you've got your external factors, you've got your factors like within your family. And then, like you say, you've got this uh, biological factor that maybe you have parents or grandparents and it goes down that you're just more prone to developing it if a certain situation might occur and that's not just with a specific phobia i think that's with all anxiety disorders isn't it very true and depressive disorders mood disorders yeah Yeah. maybe maybe mental health in general yeah 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 so let's speak about specific phobia phobia and how it uh in like how cbt is used to treat it so if i came to you Let's say let's let's just go with the example that I'm scared of dogs because five years ago I was bitten by a dog. Now every time I see a dog, it creates anxiety. I I turn around and and I don't I I just go the opposite direction. I don't even want to see this dog anymore. So what would what would a therapy um, approach be towards that? Sure. Yeah. So first, we would just educate you on what's going on in your brain, right? Like why your brain is setting setting you on fire. A lot of people say, I feel like my whole body's on fire when I'm so anxious. So we would explain the physiology of that. And then we would explain what treatment is going to look like. So we do a lot of psychoeducation at the front and give you tools to manage the physiological symptoms that you're going to experience when you go and see dogs, right? Um, When you're around a dog. So we give you coping skills. But then we're going to use what we call exposure and response prevention or exposure in general, which is we would, by small increments, expose you to the thing that you're afraid of, right? Now, your brain, when we do, we bring this up, is going to say, absolutely not. I refuse to do that. Why would you have me do that? And we have to remind ourselves that the work of exposure therapy is so that you have opportunities to experience fear and you, you practice coping skills until that, that dog or whatever that thing happens goes away. An example of this would be often needles. Some people are really fine 
being afraid of needles until they need a medical procedure and they can't avoid it anymore. So it's important that you do expose yourself to the things so that if you did need to, you would be able to cope. So we would do that slowly and gradually over time and we would teach you how to manage your discomfort. And over time, most people, what happens is we have a habituation, which is over time with practice and repetition, they learn that they can tolerate the fear and often they actually have a much lower level of fear when they're exposed to that thing. Yeah, yeah, it can it can really relate, not to the German Shepherd, someone just spoke about a German Shepherd and me in the <laughs> comments, but I can really relate to how uh, having a fear of, because mine was obviously panic disorder, which was the fear of the panic attacks really, so I can really relate to how that could happen. What do you do if someone says, I'm not doing it, I'm not going seeing the dog, no matter what you say, I'm not putting myself into that? Because it's a great question, because if you look at the research from therapists, or what, or what therapists will actually avoid doing um, exposure therapy because they believe that it's putting the client in an uncomfortable situation that they don't want to be in, even though the science is telling them the complete opposite. Um, so what would you do to someone who is um, like saying, yeah, I'm not doing it? So there's a couple of ways you can go. I believe that if we, that the most compassionate thing we can do as human beings and as clinicians is to face our fear because if you do it ahead of time, at least you can control your environment than just waiting for a bad situation. Everyone's going to find a dog at some point. Everyone's going to have to have a needle at some point. The kindest thing you can do is actually to practice doing it in controlled environments first. So there is that. If someone said, I refuse to go and see a dog, there are so many opportunities where we can do small exposures that don't require seeing a dog, meaning you could write the word dog. You could look at cartoons of dogs. You could draw pictures of dogs. You could watch movies, Beethoven, kids' movies, right? And what you'll find is even though that feels scary, it is, it's so much smaller and you will start to get the benefit even at that very small baby step without even having to see a dog. Most of our dog exposures in my clinic, we start with photos, comics, really basic stuff or we might even just say the word dog or write the word dog um, a lot of times for like needle phobias spider phobias we print out a coloring in page of a needle or a spider and we just every day you have to color in the picture and that in and of itself is a baby step that gets you feeling accomplished in managing your fear that's really interesting why you say just it doesn't have to be an exposure to that specific situation so you don't have to start off on the pavement next to a dog um, and I think obviously that's where the uh, psychoeducation um, comes into it as well isn't it really explaining I imagine to the client that it's we're not just going to be throwing you in and leaving you and seeing what's going to happen we're going to take this approach where we just maybe, like you say, drop into a conversation. Maybe we start to, like you say, expose you to vision, like the visual aspects of seeing a dog. I really like that. Uh, maybe the sound as well, hearing a dog barking. Um, would you expose them or show them situations of people walking past dogs, for example, and things not happening? Yeah. 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 So, so we actually have lots of cases of dog exposures 
often what we'll have you do is you could even just sit in your house and just watch people walk past your house with walking your dog. Mm. That helps you to see, again, it takes you out of the black and white thinking that all dogs are bad or all dogs are dangerous. Is you, you know, often we will go to the dog park, but we won't go anywhere near it. We will park in your car with the windows up, right? And and just sit and watch the dogs. You're nowhere near them. You're you're not going to have that much high anxiety. But you get to sort of see that dogs don't all run and bite, right? You get to sort of habituate to them playing, and you have experiences of sometimes, often when you do that, you even though you're scared, you'll be scared, and then you'll have moments where you're like, "Oh, that's so cute," and then you'll be like, "Oh my gosh, I'm still so scared," <laughs> and so yeah. you. That's to give you opportunity to have other emotions about dogs or or other things that you're afraid of as well. Yeah, and I think what you mentioned about the other emotions, I think it's okay to accept whatever emotions come as well at the time that, yes, maybe you will start to feel anxious um, if you jump in, if you've had that in the past. Someone's about perhaps watch uh, cute dog videos. Yeah, Yeah, definitely. no, that's really interesting. So, just regarding um, phobia, um, someone mentioned what 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 about phobias with medication? Because that can have a direct impact uh, on someone's health if they if they're avoiding medication because of the fear of side effects. Um, yeah. Would that be treated the same, or would they have to speak to a doctor, or could that be spoke? What can can you deal with that in therapy? Yes. So often we work with a psychiatrist and because let's say they have a different disorder, let's just say you have severe depression and the doctor has encouraged you to take medication, but you have a phobia of that. They would come to us and we would work on just the the phobia of taking medication. Um, And we could do that, you know, by, again, sometimes we start by taking sugar pills or we start by taking small like under the doctor's care like a Tylenol or other other medicines and practicing having that fear and practicing tolerating that fear one there was a question before I wanted to just address someone had said exposure made my phobia worse one thing I would really encourage people to know is exposure usually requires repetition of exposure and that yeah the first handful half dozen exposures or more can actually really increase your fear but then with repetition is where the success happens so I really would encourage people don't give up hope if it's hard for the first few times keep going it will get easier right and that's a huge mistake that a lot of clinicians do is that the client feels worse before they feel better and so they stop And so it is really finding an exposure that's small baby step enough that you can practice it on repeat. Yeah, that's really interesting. What's the reason you think clinicians do that, even though they should know, obviously, what you just mentioned? They should know that the first bit is going to get worse because they're obviously exposing themselves to that fear. But then it's going to gradually go. um, I think it's... I think it's usually just lack of experience. I remember when I first started... And I had one client, we were doing emetophobia exposures and every single time they would go into like fetal position, totally shut down. And I would get really flooded with emotion and be like, I'm totally ruining this human being and I'm, I'm, I'm making it traumatic. 
And thankfully, I had a supervisor who kept saying, keep going. You've got to trust that if you keep going with the client, you'll help them. And I did. But my human instinct was to go, stop, let's stop. Like, this is not okay. And thankfully, that client now is thriving, right? Because we kept going. That's really interesting. So like you say, it's an it's an emotional, normal response, maybe. And like you say, maybe just that little bit of lack of experience, but hopefully they'll have supervisors like you had that shows them the the right way. Um, Someone just asked, have you ever had clients who did the exposures, um, like you said, repetitively, but it wasn't going down? The fear was still there even after doing it consistently. Yes. And, and you can go back. And, and why would that happen? Yeah. So it's similar to you and I, when we talked about the flying exposure is often if the fear isn't going down, it's usually that some very nuanced, small ex- compulsion is happening. Um, that's keeping you in the loop of high level anxiety. So that may be hypervigilance. It might be black and white thinking. It might be, um, you're resisting your anxiety. A lot of this work is going to invite in in car you're going to need to be experiencing a lot of anxiety but you're going to have to be able to do it willingly if if you're doing the exposure and you're like no 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 I will not I do not want this I don't want this I don't want this you probably won't get a ton of great benefit so you do have to be really willing to really ride that wave of discomfort and that usually is what is expected and with that you will get the benefit yeah, I'm just thinking about the plane situation like you mentioned. Um, I definitely wasn't willing to go on the well, I was obviously putting myself on the plane, but I, yeah, just what when you're on the plane, you just think like counting down the time when you're gonna land, sort of thing. But I guess that is like you say, where that um that constant like little uh, micro reassurance was occurring and keeping me in the loop. So it'd be really interesting what happens on the next flight. Um, which will be yeah, that'll be cool to to let you know. But I do have faith that that we will overcome that. I do yeah. have faith with it. Yeah. Um, there was another question that I just saw. Um, someone yeah, someone was asking regarding mindfulness. So is it good to be mindful in the situation? And do you bring other tools into? So you speak about exposure therapy um is there any other approach or is it would it just specifically be exposure therapy so speaking about the dog speaking about his elevators medication whatever is it just one route or is there a list of different things yeah no we bring in a bunch of tools so number one here's what i'm going to give everyone for homework right is if you have a specific phobia or any fear in general before you face it you, I want you to get a piece of paper so you'll get a notepad and you'll write down why you want to face that fear, right? Because in the moment when you're feeling fear, your brain's going to say, do not do this, go back to bed, like let's make this go away. So you've got to have your goal. It might be, I want to go and expose myself to a dog because I want to be able to take a walk without freaking out every time. Or I want to be able to do this exposure. I want to do this exposure with the airplane because I want to be able to fly with ease. 
I want to, you know, I'm going to do this needle exposure because I want to have access to blood tests that will keep me safe. So first of all, you really want to be clear on why you're doing the exposure. Otherwise, you'll never do it. The other thing is mindfulness and self-compassion skills are going to help you ride that wave of discomfort. So mindfulness is about being non-judgmental and willing to be uncomfortable as the discomfort rises and falls. And self-compassion is another skill we bring in, which is as you're doing these hard things, you're being very gentle with yourself because often what happens is someone will go and expose themselves to a dog and the whole time they're like, I'm such an idiot. This should be easy. Everyone else can do this and I'm here having a hard time. So you want to make sure you're being compassionate along the way as well. So these are sort of tools you can bring in to complement your exposure and make it easier to ride that wave. I think people find it very hard, uh, and I'm sure you'll understand and agree with this, is that um, when that happens, so when you're starting to do that exposure, the body is doing the complete opposite to what you want to be doing. So you you just mentioned you want to be self-compassionate. Well, it's telling you that while well, you say you're a failure, this shouldn't be happening, and you've got that inner critic um, always speaking that way. And obviously the mindfulness, you, your body's telling you, I don't want to feel this way. I need to get out of this situation so it's not feeling this way. So I think it's important for people to know that it is literally the complete opposite of how you're naturally going to be feeling of what you have to be doing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The truth is, in the moment, you're not going to want to do these exposures. This is, like I always say to clients, this is the hardest work you'll ever do. It'll also be the most rewarding because here's the example, my clients who have been doing exposure work handled COVID so much better than my clients who weren't doing exposure because they'd already had practiced facing fear, facing uncomfortable moments. And so this is a skill for life, even though it's so hard, you will benefit from practicing facing your fears. I, I wholeheartedly have seen that in my career. Yeah, well, you've seen it and I've seen it firsthand, obviously going from four or five panic attacks a day to none. And I think, like you say, it's really important that behaviour change at first where you, you're writing down the goal because if, um, the goal is often normally to avoid the certain thing, isn't it? But you like you're saying, you're changing that narrative to say, well, if it's to do with needles or medication, then I, I have the right, I have the... Um, I should should have this access to medication if I feel well, or I should have the right to enjoy the company of dogs like other people do. And changing that narrative is is really important as yeah. well. And that that occurs a lot with anxiety um, in in all aspects of anxiety. Right. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. The thing to remember, and what I would say is, um, the discomfort is is uncomfortable, but it's mm. tolerable, right? So just keep that in mind. It, it is. It's it won't kill you, even though sometimes it feels like it will. It's just a matter of again, imagine it like the wave of an ocean. It will rise and fall with time. And sometimes, like you say, the thoughts are going to be telling you, "Yeah, this is the time that it is going to kill you." But it doesn't. Like you say, the the go to treatment is to to fight through it. Um, and the science says, um, with the help, obviously, of a therapist, if you can. If you can't, 
we have um, like wonderful access to resources like yourself. You have your own course, don't you, that they can help people if they can't access it. Do you just want to speak about that just before we wrap up the live, uh, the course that you um, that you do for exposure? Sure. So we have ERP school, which is identifying what you'll do is you'll identify your fear, identify your compulsions, and then it'll teach you how to do exposures to it. Um, and so ERP school is available to people if they're interested. Um, it, it has a lot to do with, again, practicing riding out waves of discomfort, being willing to be uncomfortable. And so we talk a lot about those skills in the course there. That's wonderful. And the ERP school is available worldwide, which is amazing. You can do it from, uh, well, you can access it from home. Yeah? And obviously you've got a practical element to it. And also there's a support element. Um, they don't just do the course and then that's it. Um, someone someone did mention them. Would they, would they have access to you directly or could they message you if they have questions? So when you join the course, you can sign up for our private Facebook group or you can come every second and fourth Monday. I do a live on here on Instagram and in the Facebook group um, and I answer any questions that you have there. So that I've been doing that for four, five years, I think. Um, every second and fourth Monday, we do a live Q&A for people who are trying to like come up with strategies for this. Is that how long you've been doing it? Yeah. Yeah. Is that five years on Instagram? Uh, no, it would be four. Where did you, where, uh, where, all right. Did you, where did you used to do it somewhere else before or not? We were on Facebook first. Ah, that makes sense. Yeah, so guys, uh, the link's in our bio as well. So Kim has her own page on the website. It has a list of the courses that she has at the moment. Go and uh, check it out, have a look. And uh, as Kim uh, releases more courses, we'll add that on the website as well. But yeah, Kim, lovely chat. Thank you so much for speaking about this topic. I know a lot of people were interested and find it really useful. The education behind... Um, psychoeducation as you know is is key and just being able to share um, this moment with you just to speak about all the expertise and all the experience you have with clients is, is amazing so i'd like to thank you for that thank you it's such a pleasure to be here i hope it helps thank you very much all right kim take care yeah bye right you've been listening to dlc live be sure to follow dean on instagram at dlc anxiety Check our website at dlcanxiety.com and grab yourself a copy of our latest book, Greater Than Panic, on Amazon today. See you next time.